This week on The Clubhouse, Anthony joins the exclusive list of folks who have seen a ball game at all 30 MLB stadiums. The 29th and 30th parks on his list takes us south as we visit the home of the Miami Marlins and the Atlanta Braves. We also get into a discussion on no-hitters in baseball. This episode was recorded in the stands of Marlins Park and Turner Field and inside our rental car. Blue Jays win it! Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Got him! 20 strikeouts! He ties the Major League record! There it goes! See ya! I don't believe what I just saw! He's out by five feet at the plate! And that was the worst base running in the history of the game! Fly ball, left field! Hello, everybody. We are currently making the four-hour drive from Orlando, Florida, where we just spent a fantastic weekend at GeekyCon. Big thanks to Melissa Anelli for uh, treating us so absolutely wonderfully at GeekyCon. I got to learn all sorts of stuff about a geek world, a geek culture that I honestly didn't really know too much about. But we are now making our way to Miami to catch a game in Marlins Park. And Marlins Park is actually a place that has a bit of significance in my life because it is the first place where I witnessed a game that all baseball fans would love to be able to watch someday, that I wanted to be able to watch someday. I'd been part of many almosts. I had tickets to a couple of ones that actually happened, but I actually, but I ended up not going to that game. And of course, I'm talking about the no-hitter. The no-hitter is a unique baseball occurrence that doesn't happen very often, a couple times a year. And I now get to say that I've been to one of them, and I was at game 162 in 2013, where Henderson Alvarez not only threw a no-hitter against the Detroit Tigers, he was in the on-deck circle when the no-hitter was complete because it was a 0-0 game heading into the ninth heading into the ninth. He got the first three outs in the top of the inning, and he halfway celebrated before realizing, uh uh-oh, game ain't over yet. Had to come out of the game, or I'm sorry, had to come off the mound, into the dugout. Everyone in the stands was very, very nervous to what was gonna happen. And the Tigers proceeded to fill the bases. Two outs, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Henderson Alvarez is on deck. And I'm blanking right now on who is on base, but I know that Giancarlo Stanton came running home on a wild pitch and scored the winning run. And it was a walk-off no-hitter, which was a pretty incredible experience to be at. But Anthony, now by the time you guys hear this, it will be a couple months ago, but Anthony, you recently experienced a no-hitter in your life. In similar situations where, uh, as you all know, I am a Tigers fan, it was very difficult for me to see my Tigers get... Uh, a no-hitter thrown against them. But, Anthony, why don't you explain to our listeners what you just experienced? Uh, Cole Hamels of the Philadelphia Phillies in the middle of July threw a no-hitter against the Chicago Cubs. And it was the first time the Cubs had been no-hit anywhere um, in almost... It was just... It was something like 30 or 60 days shy I can tell of, of 50 years. I can tell you the exact date. The first time that the Cubs had been no-hit in nearly 50 years, as Anthony just uh, mentioned... The last time was September 9th, 1965, when the Dodgers' Sandy Koufax tossed a perfect game for the last of his four career no-hitters. So Sandy actually threw a perfect game in 1965 against the Cubbies, but it had been that long since they had been no-hit. And they were by far the longest longest team to go between being no-hit which was always a kind of a little source of pride. But the funny thing about this game, and you know, Munish said I was being negative, but honestly, I had this weird premonition feeling about it when, when we, were, we were on a plane um, when the game started. And when we got off the plane, I saw that the Cubs had not had a hit through the first three innings. And there was just something about it that was like, I think that Cole Hamels is gonna throw no hitter today. And I said it out loud. He, he, he absolutely did say it. And Munish was like, oh, you're just being negative. I was like, <laughs> 
No, actually, I think it's going to happen. I had this weird feeling. Hold and on. I and I and I, you know, it's a little bit of a bummer, but honestly, throughout I was like also the, I was there was a part of me that was certainly happy to be witnessing history. Okay, you are absolutely correct. I would like to say for the record that you are making yourself seem a lot more serene than you were and making me seem a lot more, you know, ridiculous than I was. It was definitely a you were a little bit down. And then you realize, oh, well, we have been no, you know, we haven't had any hits. And there's kind of a ha ha ha, isn't this funny? We have a lot of hits. So there was absolutely a little bit of negative nantying happening, happening in your in your life. But absolutely, I will agree that you seemed very okay with it. And especially in the eighth and ninth innings, you were, as we were, I believe we were, I think we were flying back into New York. I can't remember where we were at this point. But we were flying back into New York and we were taking a cab back to the city. And as we were in the cab, we we're listening to it. And, you know, I, I do believe that that you were happy is not the right word, but it was kind of a, a cool moment for you to experience. Because how many times have you listened to a no hitter that you didn't just tune into the last like out because ESPN or MLB told you to do so? Like how many have you actively followed, if you can remember? Really not very many. I mean, I don't even remember because, um, you know, sometimes like my fantasy pitcher is throwing a no hitter, you know, but I don't really necessarily notice it unless I'm like following actively the, that the start that day, you know, it's, it's, I don't remember being aware of it from first pitch to last. And I've been at at least one game that I believe went into like the eighth inning. And it happened to be funny enough in Philadelphia, a Cubs Phillies game that I went to a few years ago. Um, it was Mark Pryor versus Eric Milton and they both were pitching. There was like a pitcher's duel anyway, but Mark Pryor um, had not given up a hit. And I think it was the eighth inning where he finally gave up his first hit. And I remember being in the stands and I was with a fellow Cubs fan and we were, you know, surrounded by Phillies fans. And the Phillies fans were being like very respectful and about this situation. And I was impressed by that because, you know, Phillies fans have kind of a reputation of being, you know, boo birds and really hard core and all that stuff. And it was a, it was a pleasant thing to be a part of this, you know, everybody was starting to acknowledge and it's kind of thing like, you know, the, the superstition is you, when you're in the stands, you're not supposed to talk about it when it's happening kind of thing. But, you know, we, we all were kind of like looking at each other and everybody was aware of it. Um, but then, it, then the no hitter was broken up and there, it wound up being like, I think like a two nothing game or something like that. But, um, but I've never, I've never, other than that, I've been into, I've been at some pitchers duels, especially recently that were very, very low scoring games, really well pitched games. But, I haven't been personally at a game that's, you know, approached being no hitter like that. And that was several years ago. So, I mean, it truly is a, a you know, as I've mentioned on the podcast several times, I've been to, I've been to thousands of baseball games, or not thousands, but over a thousand baseball games in my life. And, you know, I had tickets to Justin Verlander's 2007 uh, no hitter. And I, it was at the time when I owned a sports magazine. I was going to games all the time. So it was kind of one of those, ah, I, I can't, I'm busy, I'll go tomorrow. And of course, you know, I regretted that for, for many, many years because when I was on my 30 stadium tour, everybody asked me, of course, well, hey, have you ever been to a no-hitter? That's that's kind of a question that, that a lot of people ask. And I always had to say no. And the game that I went to in Miami was actually not officially part of my 30 stadium tour. It was uh, after my tour had ended, I'd just driven... Uh, actually, it ended up being uh, about 18,000 uh, miles, 18,500 miles in 95 days to uh, see a ball game at all 30 parks. And I was exhausted. I was tired. And, and I, I went to Miami to have a little bit of vacation. I thought I just needed to go to, you know, down to Miami and, and, and just lay on the beach for a week. But of course, I have a sickness and my Tigers were in town. So I decided, eh, I'll buy tickets to the game. I went to the first two games of the series. The Tigers at that point had already clinched a playoff spot, and so they were resting a lot of guys. And then on that Sunday, I was like, ah, you know what? I do kind of want to go to the beach today. Maybe I won't go to the game. But uh, the girl, Tina, that I was staying with at the time, she said, oh, you know what? Just go to the game and then go, go to the beach afterwards. I was like, all right, you're right. It's fine. And so I ended up going to the game. And in Marlins Park, who, which you will be visiting for the first time ever in, uh, what is it now? six short hours the attendance generally isn't that great there you get maybe five ten thousand people that are in that park but because they were playing the tigers and the tigers happened to have in 2013 five or six venezuelan players 
that place was like a Venezuelan home game. There was about 20,000 people in the stands with Venezuelan flags going nuts for all of uh, 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 the Tigers players. It was a really unique, cool experience, uh, atmosphere. And as you just mentioned, people don't like to talk about no hitters. But the sixth inning comes and people are starting to notice, hey, Henderson Alvarez hasn't given up any hits. But all right, it's early, whatever, who cares? Seventh inning comes, and the tension now, that you can hear murmurs. You can hear murmurs going through the ballpark. People are starting to realize it. The eighth inning comes, and the place is silent slash electric. I don't know how to explain it. There is just this weird energy that is existing. My body is, I'm actually feeling like I'm back in that moment again. My body is, is, is pulsating with, with energy because I'm, I, you can feel it. Just like you felt it, I could feel something was gonna happen. And when the ninth inning comes, I don't think there's anything like a no-hitter in baseball in the sense that even in the World Series game, every single pitch, every ball, every strike, every foul, the entire crowd is holding their breath when the ball leaves the hand and exhaling when the ball reaches the mid. And it is the most intense exhausting, unique experience I've ever had in my entire life. I think we need to do some math here. So there's, what is it? I can never do the math quickly. 20, over 2,400 games played a season. I think it's 26, 32. You know, you keep talking, I'll find out. Yeah. So it's, you know, around 2,500, let's say, um, times 100, however many years. So that's, you know, 250,000 games that have been played in Major League Baseball history plus. Actually, so it's, I'm sorry, it is. It's 2430. Yeah, 2430. So, you know, around, give, let's say we're just around 250,000 games that have been played in the roughly 100 years. You know, this is all sort of round numbers. The total number of no hitters that have been thrown in all of that time of history is how many, Manish? Through July 25th, 2015, so this might have changed by the time you hear this, heard this, hear this, hear this is the right word there. 290 no-hitters have been thrown, 246 being in the modern era, which starts in 1901, which is the World Series era, but 290 since basically uh, eight, uh, the early, the mid-1800s. So, I, again, the, I'm not great at math. Is that 0.01% or 0.1%? I will find out right now. Regard, it's a tiny number. It's going to be about 0.01%. Yeah, 0.01%. Now, I have a question. Just, out of, just guess. Just guess. So, 290 no-hitters. How many perfect games do you think there have been? It's like 20-something, I believe. Once again, through uh, July uh, uh, 25th, 2015. 23. Yeah, I see. So that's 0.001%, right? That's a statistical anomaly. That's an, that's that's a statistician would say that is an outlier that is a, or, or, or not an outlier, that is statistically insignificant. Like, it just, it doesn't matter. Perfect games just don't happen. And, you know, who was it recently that uh, we were chatting with who was telling us a story about being able to tell their father that, hey, dad, on that one day I was perfect. Do you remember the, 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 that uh, conversation we were having with somebody? I'm sorry, I don't remember that conversation. Oh, we were just, I can't remember who it was. We were having a conversation with somebody and they were telling the story about a pitcher who, you know, had, was having some rough games and, and maybe even a rough life. But on that one day, he threw a perfect game and he was able to tell his father, you know, everything else in my life may be going wrong. I may, whatever's happening that's just negative. I may hate myself for whatever reason. But in that one day, I was perfect. Now, the other thing about this, and it goes back to the Cole Hamels throwing a no-hitter against the Cubs story, is as we were listening to the, to the ending of the game in the car, like via our little radio on the phone, um, Manish said, well, there hasn't <laughs> been like one of those, you know, really amazing plays yet, and every no-hitter needs an amazing play, or else it doesn't, it's not really a no-hitter. And, you know, the ones where the, the guy makes the crazy leaping grab into the seats or he dives and hits his head, but he holds on to the ball or, 
you know, some weird looping line drive that normally would dunk in, but they, somebody just like stretches for that extra thing. There's all, there's almost always at least one of those plays in any perfect or perfect game or no hitter. And literally 15 seconds maximum after Munich says this, <laughs> Pat Hughes on the on the broadcast was like, oh my, he made the catch. He made the catch. Like it was one of those crazy balls that would have bounced high off the wall and been like at least a double. But he like, you know, made the crazy catch as soon as Manish said that. And as soon as that, I mean, I, I was feeling, like I said, I was feeling pretty confident from the third inning. I don't know why. I had this feeling that Cole Hamels was going to do it and he did it. But after that, I was like, okay, well, then it's really done. And then apparently in the, la in the last play of the game, the very last play of the game, it wasn't such a crazy play in the sense that it was a more, sort of more routine warning track fly ball. But I think the wind was kicking around a little bit. And the center fielder for the Phillies was going back, but then he realized he'd gone back a little too far. And as he was going coming back forward, he literally, his, his spikes, like his cleats, he's, he tripped on the warning track dirt. And he, as he was falling, he still, after tripping, he still made the catch. Caught the ball on his stomach. Yeah, after tripping to preserve the no-hitter. So, yeah, that no-hitter was filled with two of those such plays in the late innings. Um, but again, I was like, yeah, it was, it was uh, you know, it was, it was a bittersweet thing in a sense of, of course, I wanted the Cubs not to be swept by the Phillies at home. You know, that was a bad thing, but... At the same time, it was history, and I got to witness history caring about the game, not just even caring about, like, a game where a pitcher is throwing a no-hitter, which is always kind of exciting and interesting to witness, but that it was actually, I actually had some skin in the game. I actually had my, I cared about it, so I can say that I did witness that to the degree that I, I was, I, you know, it would have been even cooler to be in the ballpark, probably, but I was still glad that I was alive and a part of that ending of that streak. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think you are right that that because um, I was now it was a little bit of a dis different situation because, as I said, the Tigers had been had already clinched a playoff spot. So the game was, you know, meaningless as far as that was concerned. But when the seventh inning, eighth inning came around and the Henderson Alvarez game, I absolutely was rooting for the no hitter. I, I absolutely wanted to see a no hitter, despite the fact that it was against my team. And, you know, it would be. I'm always curious. It's one of those hypotheticals that you just you don't know until you're in that situation. I'd be curious to see how I would react if my if my team was in a playoff race or even in a, in a very important game that you, you needed to win that game and a no hitter is happening. I'd be curious where my allegiances lie. You know, lay where would it be on history or would it be on my own selfish desire to see my team succeed? But I mean, it's it's like the the thing about baseball always is you have to tip your cap. No, after the game you tip your cap. But I'm saying during the during the actual event when it hasn't happened yet, do you want, hey, come on. I mean, look, if they're losing 20 to nothing and there's a no-hitter, all right, fine. But if it's still like a one-nothing game and there's a no-hitter where it's like, well, I don't care about no-hitter, I want to win this game, or do I care about baseball history and say, do I want to be a part of that 0.01%? Yeah, I mean, I could speak for myself the other day. I was, I, I of course I would have been fine either way, but... I wasn't mad at the Cubs for being no hit. Once or, again, I'm not or, saying... Or even sad, really, about losing a game at the, because the, clearly something really special was happening. Absolutely. So, so I think that, that for me, that did... And speaking of somebody who was just literally just happened to, <laughs> that it was, you know, it was trumped by the, by the history. You know, okay. I would never be like, those bums... Of course not. I would not. Once again, after the game is over, you absolutely tip your cap. I mean, Henderson, I became a fan of Henderson Alvarez for the rest of my life. I will like him no matter where he goes. I, I, I was a part of that small crowd of people that witnessed that one event, and I feel forever connected to Henderson Alvarez. Like it's, I will be rooting for this kid forever because that was a really special, cool moment. Um, but like I said, I, 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 but I can't tell how I would react. I mean, I did see how you reacted, and you reacted exactly the way you're describing it. You were absolutely happy to see history, and I don't know. I mean, out there, tell, uh, email us in at clubhousepodcast uh, gmail.com um, or tweet at us at clubhousepod. You know, have you ever been to a no hitter? Have you seen your team no hit? Have you seen? Neither one of us, I guess, have seen our team throw a no-hitter. I can imagine. I can. I can only imagine. No, I, threw, I, I mean, I watched on TV, but I saw when Carlos Zambrano threw the no-hitter. Uh, right, right, right. But I'm more talking about live. Like, you know, I've watched Verlander throw no-hitters. I, I mean, 
to me, once again, there's a difference between seeing it on television and seeing it, you know, live because you can really, especially in between innings, that's when it gets the, the most fun because in between innings, everybody is just, what's happening? Oh my God, what do you do? What do you do? Do we talk about it? We don't talk about it. Don't, shut up. Don't talk about it. No. It's just, it's really kind of a cool experience. Yeah, I can imagine that's true. I mean, the funny thing about the last time the Cubs threw a no-hitter was um, it was right after uh, the hurricane in Houston and New Orleans, Katrina. Um, the, uh, Minute Maid Park had been closed down because of those crazy situations that were happening down there. And so they re- it, was a, it was a game between the Cubs and the Astros, and it was relocated to my least favorite NL Park, Miller Park. Um, but that is where, so we were playing, it was like, I guess it was considered, a, it was a considered an Astros home game, but it was being played at Miller Park. And I think part of the reason that they picked Miller Park is that it was also a roof stadium, so and they felt like there was some, you know, fairness there. Um, and it was at that park, so they were, the Astros were playing in this weird environment and they were no hit then. But, you know, Carlos Zambrano had flirted with no hitters. That's the, I always like that that's the, yeah. <laughs> that's the word that's used when people write about these things. They flirted with a no hitter. They didn't take him home and bone him, but they flirted <laughs> with him. Um, but, uh, so that, that's where Zambrano, who had, you know, gotten close at least, at least a couple times before that. Right now we're, you know, as at, at this recording, Jake Arrieta, over the last two two years that he's been a Cub, he's gotten pretty. He's gone pretty deep a couple times in his career as a Cubs pitcher. Like I think at least seventh or eighth inning where he's had a no, you know, given up no hits. John Lester has thrown at least one or two no hitters in his career um, before, you know, as a Red Sox pitcher. So the, it seems like there's a possibility that we could have another one, and then you know, not too distant future. Although of course you never know. There's so many circumstances. That's the other thing about part of the reason there's such statistical anomalies is that. There are all these other weird little tiny circumstances, including defensive plays and what the strike zone is like of the umpire and... And ultimately pitch count, which I know anytime that there is something happening where you can see zeros on the board in the sixth sixth or seventh inning, it's sad that I do this now, but my, my first reaction is, what's his pitch count? What's his pitch count? What's his pitch count? Because if it's, let's say, in the 90s, in the sixth inning, well, you know, that ain't going to be a, at least a, a, a uh, non-combined no-hitter. It might be a combined no-hitter, but to me, those aren't nearly as special. Um, yeah, they're really not special at all, actually, when I think about it, just because I really don't think so. Because well, once they're, they're still incredibly rare. Well, of course, no, they're incredibly rare, but to me, but that's that's more so on the starters. At that point, if it's a combined no-hitter, aside from, it has happened a couple times where a combined no-hitter, like where each pitcher threw three or four innings at a time. But a lot of time the, the combined no-hitter is, the starter takes you to six or seven innings and then your setup man, your closer, those guys have perfect innings all the time. That's not nearly as rare just because that's what their job is anyways. But, you know, I've, I've gotten it. If you were if you were saying that's not a big deal, then. I did not say it's a big deal. Do not put words in my mouth. Did not say it's a big deal. Said to me, it's not as big of a deal as a single game, a uh, single pitching no-hitter, which I think is just, doesn't even, need to be, doesn't even need to be said. I think that's just, I would much prefer one guy throwing a no-hitter than five guys. Okay, prefer- yeah. preferring it. That's, what, that's, that's all I was saying. I'm, you're trying to get deeper into that. I was just saying that was my connecting into what I was going to go into next. I still think if you were at that ballpark where that happened, you'd be really excited. I would absolutely be excited. It would be a, a I'm, look, I'm excited when I see a triple. I'm excited when I see, you know, a grand slam. I'm excited when I see a lot of rarity of a com- even a combined no hitter is still so so far beyond sure the rarity of a triple or a grand slam. I mean, it's not even of course it's not even on the same scale. I'm just, I'm just easily excitable. I think that's really what it is. I just I just get excited. I'm upset now. <laughs> um, but do you remember off the top of your head? Any other no-hitters that you even caught the last tail end of? Um, did you watch uh, uh, Kershaw's or Felix's? Or, or do you remember any any, or any any moments in your life that you remember? Or, or years ago, any moments that you remember? Uh, I remember tuning into the more recent Randy Johnson no-hitter. The Braves? The Diamondbacks Braves? Yeah, Diamondbacks Braves. I, I actually ended I for whatever, I was working at ESPN at the time, and um, I don't remember if there just wasn't a game that I was interested in, or maybe I just liked the matchup, but for whatever reason, in my, when I worked for ESPN, I would sit in this booth that had about 15 monitors in it, and I'd be able to basically put every single game on um, that I wanted. 
but I'd have one personal monitor that was kind of next to my computer. So those 15 monitors would be above my head and then there'd be one smaller monitor next to my computer. And that's kind of the one that I would put the actual game I wanted to watch on. And for whatever reason, I put that game on, the Braves, Diamondbacks, Randy Johnson game. And it was, I watched every single pitch. And back when I was working for ESPN, anytime there was a no hitter, there would always be kind of this, who's the guy that's gonna send out the email to tell everybody else that there's a no hitter going on? Who's gonna be the guy that ruins it? I had done it several times, other people had done it several times, and obviously it would get ruined and you'd have this long email chain of all these ESPN people yelling at that person, you idiot, you ruined it, why did you have to spoil it for everybody? And I was sitting there and it was like the fifth inning and nobody had sent the email yet, so I was like, I think I might be the only one watching this game. Oh God, I have to be the one to tell people that this is happening. Please don't ruin this for everybody. And I did. And he ended up throwing the no-hitter, and I felt so happy. Was it a perfect game? Um, it- yes. I don't remember, actually. Was it a perfect game? Oh, my God, that's going to kill me. Um, I do not remember. This was 2000. This must have been 2000 and uh, five-ish. five-ish. So let's see. No, 2004. It was a perfect game. Yes, 2004. Um, I, think you, I believe you had... 14 strike? I'm not sure. I'll put it on clubhousepodcast.com. But it was just, it was uh, surreal. And to watch that man being all elbows and ankles, just throwing the ball at that at that plate and just fooling those Braves. It was a, it was a special night. Now, the other funny thing about the, the more recent no-hitter is that Joe Madden, the manager of the Cubs, um, he's got to be the most no-hit manager of current active managers because I believe his Tampa Bay Rays had at least three or four no-hitters slash perfect games thrown against them while he was a manager, plus this one. So that's just an interesting little weird factoid in and of itself, considering the rarity of these things and that he's presided over games that have been no-hitters. Yeah, but but keep in mind that, you know, when when Joe was in Tampa, he had a lot of young teams. He had a lot of... of, a revolving door, if you will, of, of young double-A, triple-A guys coming in and out of the lineup. So that actually doesn't surprise me at all. That's going to happen when you've got just young kids, you know. Um, he is, that's the one thing that Joe does so well is he develops these young kids. But just because he develops them well doesn't mean he's going to be able to win 100 games with them. It's He does a good job of winning 85-90 and just getting them to where they need to be. I wasn't even in any way saying that he did anything wrong or wasn't a good manager. I just think it was an int- it's just an interesting sure. statistical anomaly in and of itself that uh, how given how rare no-hitters are that there's one manager who's had that many, you know, working. Sure. Throughout history, there I can't imagine that anyone's come close, but I could be, you know, we could do a little web search and see. I will try to uh, find that and, and put that in the show notes at clubhousepodcast.com. We're going to take just a brief break so that Anthony and I can tell you about our first giveaway. I have a 2016 baseball stadium's wall calendar for sale through TF Publishing. They're available at Amazon.com, Calendars.com, as well as your local Meyer Big Lots, Stop and Shop, and more. I'll include all this info about how you can purchase one of my uh, calendars at my website, roundingthird.net. But for now, Anthony has a very exciting announcement to tell you all about. So uh, we're going to have our first giveaway. It's a giveaway contest. Here, It's very simple. Uh, we are always looking for more trivia questions to ask our, our guests for, their, for the game that we play at the end. Um, so if you have any cool trivia questions about your favorite team or about any team that you love or anything, send them to us, please, at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at clubhousepod. And we will look through those. And if we wind up using one of your questions, we will give you a free signed wall calendar. And it will be signed by Manish, who was the photographer. He will sign the Detroit Tigers, Comerica Park picture. And I will sign the Wrigley Field picture because I am a diehard Cubs fan. So send us your questions, please. And uh, good luck. If you are a new listener to the Clubhouse podcast, welcome. For more great baseball conversations, take a look at our archives, like our chat with the owner of the Burgino Baseball Clubhouse in Manhattan, Jay Goldberg. In this clip, Jay explains why Shea Stadium will always be his favorite ballpark. You know, it's funny because, uh, yeah, it was a dump, 
but it was also beautiful in, sure. in a way to a Mets fan. Sure. It's because it's my dump. Exactly. Exactly. And <laughs> no, it was that's, really that's... New York. It's kind of like if you love New York, you love like the it was a Cole Porter song or whatever. I I, I love the stink of it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just the way it is. It's so you love. I loved all the concrete. It's very New York that yeah, ballpark. Yeah. And now back to our conversation on no hitters in baseball. Um, I do want to talk a little bit just about some of the 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 uh, records that have been uh, set by no hitters. And I'm going to ask you. And I know this is going to be impossible for you to to know, but I'm just going to be curious to see if you know some of these numbers, and this is uh, how rare some of these are. So, who has the most no-hitters in the American League? I think that's a pretty easy question. Nolan Ryan. Yes, that's a pretty easy and question. he has the most ever anyway. In the modern era, right? Yes. Yeah. How many no-hitters, and this will be combined AL and NL, how many no-hitters has Nolan Ryan thrown? It's eight or nine. Close. Seven. He threw, it uh, looks like, four for the California Angels, two for the Texas Rangers, and one for the Houston Astros. Who is the NL record holder for no-hitters? Sandy Koufax with four. Look at you, knowing the NL a little better than the AL. Now, here is a, a number that recently changed and there's a tie now atop first place for this, but do you know who has the record for most no-hitters caught? A-L-N-N-O. Uh, Jason Baratek with four, I believe. He has caught four for the Boston Red Sox. And then Buster Posey with four for the Giants. Nope. No. Posey's caught uh, three. Oh, uh, hmm. I could be a hint. Been, it has now been... He very recently caught his fourth no-hitter. Ruiz for the Phillies? Carlos Ruiz has caught four no-hitters. So two for Halliday and one combined with Hamels pitching and and then Hamels. I believe so. Um, Yes. Yeah, because that was Hamels' first solo no-hitter, but it was his second. He did have a combined. Yeah, so the second, yeah. Okay, so you're actually doing much better at this than I thought. These are the kinds of, this is the kind of geek, geeky stuff that I look at periodically and think about a lot because I think it's so wonderfully rare. I mean, I don't, I don't just think that it is. It is wonderfully rare. So I'm not, you're not going to know this question, but I'm just going to ask you, how many no-hitter do you think? Just give me a ballpark. These are the pitchers with the most no-hitters broken up in the seventh inning or later. So how many get, exactly, you're not going to know this, but how many do you think, so obviously who do you think is number one in that list? Uh, probably Nolan Ryan. Of course, Nolan Ryan's at the top of all of these lists. How many no-hitters were broken up after the seventh inning for Nolan Ryan? 30 minimum. Once again, very close, but 24. 24 no-hitters were broken up in the seventh inning or later. That's terrifying. Terrifying is cool. It's ter- No, I'm thinking it from the batter's perspective. It's terrifying to see that man on the mound and know there's a good chance that I ain't going to hit anything today. Yeah, but that's cool. Number two on that list is Randy Johnson with 11. So that's how dominant. That's how dominant Nolan Ryan was as a pitcher. Yes. He has how many, 5,000, how many strikeouts? I will look that up immediately if you would keep talking while I look that out. Up. Oh. <laughs> yes, you can talk now making fun of me for, for misspeaking, please. No, I'm not making fun of you for misspeaking. Um, yeah, these things, like, the, I always, whenever I think of Nolan, I've told the story before, I think, but Hal Morris, my brother-in-law, um, loves telling the story of when he was in a spring training game and he was not you know Hal was not a big power hitter he didn't hit a lot of home runs but one day in a spring training game nolan ryan was pitching and hal morris hit a home run off of him and he said that nolan ryan glowered at him from the mound as he circled the bases in a spring training game pitchers never forget and pitchers never want to get beat even in exhibition games i love baseball uh nolan ryan <laughs> 5,714 strikeouts. And if I'm not mistaken, Randy Johnson is second with 4,000-something. 
Randy Johnson is second on that list with 4,875. He has almost 900 fewer strikeouts. That's at least... Almost 20% fewer. Almost 20% fewer strikeouts than the next guy. And he's the second guy. And the third guy is... There's a also a... No, well, it's, it's Clemens. But with how many? 4672. So there's there's a so there's there's four members of the 4,000 plus strikeout uh, list. Good old lefty Steve Carlton with 4136, Clemens with 4672. Although that number is a bit tainted according to many people. Uh, Randy Johnson 4875, and then Nolan with 5714. And then number five is where you get a bit of a dip down, and that's Burt Blylevin with 3701. Yeah, I just wanted. Take a moment to. I don't believe we talked about this yet, um, but you know, the uh, at this recording, it's been a couple of weeks since the uh, induction ceremony, Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and I just want to say, oh, Randy Johnson, his speech. There was something about it that just blew blew my mind. He, you know, it's. I guess it's because his persona on the mound has always been like this janky, glowering. I hear I'm using that word again, but like this, like muttering, seemingly furious. He looked like a drunken hillbilly up there. He was just, he was angry with his mullet and he was going to mow you down. Uh, yeah. And he was so intense and he would like pump his fist into his glove and shout at people. And he killed a bird <laughs> with his, with his ball. And then, to be fair, I don't think that was on purpose. No, but I mean, but still <laughs> he's the only one that we know of. He pitches a ball and a bird swoops in front of the plate and the ball obliterates the bird. The bird exploded. I will put that video. I'm sure you've seen that. You have to have seen that video. But if you haven't seen that video, clubhousepodcast.com, I'm telling you, it is, it's, I mean, it's such an iconic moment that uh, Randy in his post career is a photographer and the logo for his photography uh, company is a, a dead bird, which I love. So he's, you know, second all time in strikeouts, has thrown a perfect game, has thrown another no hitter. Uh, Won a world? Did he, he win? Yes, the world? Yeah, and won the MVP. Yeah, won the World Series, co MVP with Luis Gonzalez. Nope, nope. Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling. Sorry, Kurt Schilling. Uh, all of these accomplishments, uh, intimidating figure through history, et cetera, et cetera. His Hall of Fame speech, and it. There's no way that this was like he was putting this on. Uh, no, I told you before that 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 happened. That I've known a lot of people that have worked with him, and I've never gotten a chance to work with him directly, but I know a lot of people who have, and. Oh, every day they would say, no, Randy is one of the nicest, most genuine, most sweet guys. Uh, I know when he got to New York, there was a bit, oh, he played for the Yankees briefly. And because the media sometimes can be awful, they really were trying to rile him up. And he got mad because guess what? Sometimes people have bad days. But he is an insanely thoughtful person. He's a ridiculously smart person. And he's really genuinely nice. And it was kind of cool for me to watch you watch him because I could see the respect level that you had for him, which was already at a pretty high level because how could you not, but kind of just go through the roof at just what a, I think genuine is the perfect word to use for it. He is just a genuine human person. And uh, yeah, I, I adore, I adore Randy Johnson. And uh, you know, there's people who, if they are projecting humility, you just get the feeling it's a, it really is like a false humility sometimes. Yes. And with him, it, it, it just felt authentic that he was absolutely grateful for the life that he had led, for the accomplishments that he had uh, accomplished, for the people. He kept talking about the very, very simply and specifically to the people who had come all that way to be there on that special day for him. He talked about his mother. I mean, he, it, it was, it, and it was really, really a speech that was not about him. That was the other thing. It was really about all of the people who were in his life who helped make possible what had happened for him. And it was really great to see him get choked up a couple of times. Like, oh, it's coming, it's coming. But he kept he kept strong. He didn't Mike Schmidt it. Mike Schmidt, God bless him, wept openly at every retirement ceremony he ever had. Uh, and I love him for that. But but Randy was stayed stoic, stayed strong. He looked great up there. The mullet's gone now. And he looked, you know, it was just, it's... It was really, uh, I mean, everyone was looking forward to Pedro's uh, speech just because Pedro is Pedro and you knew he was going to say something silly and he was acting like a fool up there and it was just fun and great and awesome. But 
Randy's is the one that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. I mean, Randy's is one that, that really, that's the inspiring one. That's the one that really, you know, I want my eventual kids to watch. And I do believe that the, the speech is probably archived somewhere. So if you want to- Once again, it it'll be on there. It's, it's already on there. If you're on clubhousepodcast.com, I've already, um, you know, uh, I've timestamped it and you can click directly to that, that speech so you can just listen to it in its entirety. Um, we're going to have to wrap it up pretty soon, but I wanted to include a couple of more little uh, fun facts here about no-hitters. We did talk about the Cubs uh, lasting almost 50 years. Do you know who has the record for the longest time between no-hitters? Of all time, you mean? Yes. Before that? No. Well, even now, because the Cubs don't have the record. No, I know, but I mean, like right now, is it the Indians? No, no, no. I don't mean currently. I'm saying which team has gone the longest between no-hitters in Major League history? I have no idea. I'll give you a hint. It's once again a team that was recently involved in a no-hitter. The Phillies. The Philadelphia Phillies, they hold the National League and Major League team record for longest time span between no-hit games, 57 seasons. So if the Cubs could have just hung out for eight more years, they could have been in the record books. And of course, no discussion about no-hitters can be had without bringing up the great Johnny Vandermeer. Because Johnny Vandermeer threw back-to-back no-hit games, which will never, well, I mean, that that may happen, but it will certainly, that's a record that will never be broken. When we talk about unbreakable records, that's the one. Is that it? Three in a row? Ain't gonna happen. You never know, baby! That's baseball! Until the Red Sox in 2004, nobody had baseball had ever come back for an 0-3 deficit in a best-of-seven series, for instance. And that's a long-ass time for that record to have held. So you just never know. You're probably right, but you just never know. And that's why I love baseball. So we will talk to you folks uh, from our seats inside of Marlins Park. We'll see you in a couple seconds. Indoor baseball is the bane of my existence. But here we are, in sunny Miami, with a roof over our heads. But hey, at least there's a nightclub inside the park. We now take you to our visit inside Marlins Park. Hello, everybody. We are coming to you live on tape from City Field South, or Marlins Park, as we watch the New York Metropolitans take on the Miami Marlins. And I'm telling you, there are a lot more Mets fans here than Marlins fans. But uh, Anthony, your first trip to Southern Florida for a baseball game. What do you think? (laughs) The roof is sadly closed, which I predicted, despite the fact that it's not bad outside. It's only about 80, 82 degrees. Yes, it's a little humid, sure. No rain on the radar whatsoever, so I'm endlessly annoyed that, once again, we're watching indoor baseball. But of course, when we first sat down, Manish had to sort of argue with a season ticket holder who was happy that the roof is closed because like, I don't want to be sticking to the seat, he said. And I agree, I would love to have the roof open. I'm, not, I'm with Manish on this, but uh, clearly there's a season ticket holder here who's happy to be sitting in the air conditioning. He's been made soft by living in South Florida. But, you know, I guess you got to give the fans what they want, I guess. But I don't know. They're not giving me what I want, and I'm a fan. And I've been to this park about seven times in my life. So I feel like as the, the season ticket holder that I was chatting with, um, or I guess as Anthony put it, arguing with, put it, it is my tax dollars that built the stadium. Because a lot of the, the money to build the stadium are coming from tourist dollars, hotel taxes, etc. So I feel a little ownership stake in Marlins Park. But I digress. So my so among the weird, I mean, I actually think that the seat color, it's this pretty you know vibrant blue, it's it's actually kind of a nice color, but the green of the outfield walls is this sickly, weird yellowish, neon green that looks like putrid urine. The color scheme here is the first thing that jumped out to me in my first visit. It is, they're not quite sure what they want. It is very bright and very clashing and it hurts the eye. Um, the yellow is even a little bit off, like the yellow of the pole, not just the flagpole, but the the, uh, 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 the beams, I guess, to hold up the structure or the yellows uh, along the first base line there. 
it just it's everything's clashing. Nothing really works. Um, and uh, yeah, we got some excited fish fans behind us, which is nice. I mean, there are you know they're getting blown out in this game that we're watching. As of as of this recording, they are losing the game ten to nothing in the bottom of the sixth inning. Um, I mean, they're just getting pasted. Like a it's a pasting. It's the first. I think it's our first pasting that we've seen of all the games we've been to this year. Um, but the you know the fans they're staying. There's not a lot of them here in the first place because you know we're seeing a, a Marlins team that's sort of floundering all season long. But but the fans are here. It's a Monday night and there are a lot of Mets you know, fans. And though. there's there are a lot of Mets fans, but the Marlins fans are around us have been pretty vocal and engaged, and so that's kind of nice, you know. The Marlins fan base is a fascinating one to me. Actually, listen to this right now. The Marlins are at bat, and there are, are folks making noise. It's a high pop fly. And this is our, our pleasure of seeing. Ooh. The second time. Nice grab. Sorry, excuse me. That was nice. Was that Lucas Duda reaching yes. over into the bullpen, or into the dugout, excuse me, to catch a nice little pop fly? But this is our second time this season of seeing the, the chunky old man, Bartolo Colon. Oh, I, how I adore Bartolo. He, for, I know this is so hypocritical of me, but he is the only PED guy that, for whatever reason, I just give a complete pass to because he is just so lovable and chubby. And I just, I, I feel like he took it, the PEDs, because it was in a bowl of ice cream and he didn't realize it was in it. That's my defense of Bartolo Colon, why he took PEDs. That's nonsense. But when you see him hit, it's adorable. But that has nothing to do with him taking PEDs. I still think he was tricked into it like Winnie the Pooh. It was at the bottom of a honey jar, and he just stuck his head in there, and it just it pricked him by accident. But um, a couple of things that we want to touch on, uh, not just so we don't get too... Uh, as I, with me, you know, you should know this by now, I tend to try to look for something positive even in the stadiums that I do not like. And I will, Marlins Park is one of my least favorite parks. I said it on my 30 stadium tour and I've reaffirmed it now. One of the main reasons is of course, the fact that they don't open the roof. And it's not just the season ticket holder. Every employee that I've talked to here over the years seems proud of the fact that they never open the roof. And that is just something that really bums me out. But the several million dollar monstrosity that sits in their center field, uh, as I said, I believe this is either my seventh or eighth time here at Marlins Park. And that home run sculpture, I think I've actually only seen it light up and do its thing maybe two or three times, maybe a handful of times. It is shockingly ugly. Anthony, what do you think of the home run sculpture in center field? <laughs> it's very, just very silly. It's very silly. I don't know. Yeah, this park is low rent, but um, the food, delicious. Absolutely. That is one thing that I maintain. When people ask me, Manish, what's got the best ballpark food in the country? There are a lot of ballparks that have great individual meals, right? You got your crab in Baltimore. You got your steaks in, in New York. You've got your whatever. You know, there are places that have individual things that you need to eat. But every time that I've come to Marlins Park, I've eaten a different thing, a Cuban sandwich, an empanada, a ceviche, shrimp, whatever it is. And I've never had a bad meal here. The food here is fantastic. The Taste of Miami is a cool little restaurant row that they have. It's really quite good. Currently, the reason why there's so much noise being made in between innings is that the Marlins, I guess, flamenco dancers, I don't know what exactly they are. They've got some very they're colorful- Flamenco not, dancers? They've got very colorful, uh, uh, frilly little outfits on. Flamenco dancers? Flamenco is probably not the right word, but regardless, they're cheering at the wrong times. Your team is getting massacred. Uh, come on now. Let's have a little awareness, a little spatial awareness. No, little... It's not, I, don't, I don't agree with you there because they're trying to get the crowd happy. That's fine. It's Except just funny. They just did funny. it right when I believe it was Ioannis, new, newly acquired Met Yoannis uh, Cespedes uh, took home after a wild pitch, took home plate. And I think they, they started cheering immediately after that, which that's a little bit. All right. You know, maybe wait a couple seconds to cheer for your team. Maybe so. Maybe so, Manish. Maybe so. <laughs> So this is number 29 for you, Anthony Rapp. This is number 29. I'm very glad this is not number 30. I was actually going to say the same thing earlier today when the mics were off. I was going to say, I'm so happy that it worked out that we're doing this first and then Atlanta next. Because if had this been number 30, I would not have been very happy. But I really like Turner Field. We'll hear more about that in a couple of seconds. 
when Anthony and I are in Turner Field. So with that, Anthony, do you have any other final thoughts to say about Marlon? Oh, you know what? I I'm, think glad, I'm glad that we're going to see Ichiro. I love Ichiro. I adore that man with every fiber of my being. He can do no wrong. So it's, I'm very glad. We have very good seats, so I'm very glad that I've been able to, like, and we're sitting in the third base side, so, you know, he's a left, left-handed hitter, so we can, like, watch his at-bats from the front, and I really am happy about that, so. I tried to bat lefty as a kid just so that I could emulate his uh, his batting stance. It's just, it's, it's the best. I adore Ichiro. And you know what? We'll say one more thing. What did you think of the Bobblehead Museum, Mr. Rap? It was funny and sweet. It was cute. I did. I thought it was funny and sweet and cute. For a guy who, and, and if you go, if you, if, for those of you who have listened to all of our other road episodes, you're changing your tune a little bit on the cutesy as far as you didn't like things in well, Cincinnati. For, this is a different ballpark. There's Mommy. nothing else here. It's not a good ballpark. So <laughs> a, bo- a bobblehead museum that's cute and has like a very, very large supply of bobbleheads, it's cute to look at that. That's okay. Why I don't have any problem with that. I just, the only reason why I laughed. Wow. They are really. I like these people behind me a lot, actually. Let's go, Marlins! Let's just listen to them. Let's go, Marlins! They're trying. They're trying. But the thing, the reason I, I, I laugh a little bit at the Bobblehead Museum is that when I was on my 30 Stadium tour, everybody was telling me, wait till you get to Miami. They got a great Bobblehead Museum. And in my head, I was picturing a museum. But it's just a glass case of bobbleheads. Sure. That part about it makes it funny. That's just call it a museum. That's funny. But it is a lot of bobbleheads. It is a lot of bobbleheads. And it's bobbleheads from from, uh, uh, all the different teams. And so it is pretty cool. And uh, so, you know, we'll end. I think bobbleheads are really silly in the first place. Right. So, you know. Well, so we may actually, you know what? We might come to you uh, one more time. But if we don't, if the next time you hear from us is Atlanta, I will say that Anthony may not be able to fully appreciate the Clevelander out in left field because it is a Monday night. I'm not sure exactly if they're going to have a party there as they do uh, on the weekends. But the Clevelander here in Miami is something that we're going to have to talk about because it is hysterical to me. It is a nightclub in left field with a pool and um, at times body painted topless uh, dancing girls. And it is so quintessentially Miami. Part of me hates it. Part of me loves it. And also, there is a fish tank behind home plate, um, behind the home plate, and then the home plate uh, seats there. There's a fish tank. So, I mean, there's just some weird stuff here in this beautiful ballpark. And I use the term beautiful very, very loosely. (laughs) I can't believe you used that term, but that's another story for another day. (laughs) So with that, we will see you guys in Hotlanta. We couldn't leave the stadium quite yet, so Atlanta will have to wait for just a moment. There was still one more part of Marlins Park we had yet to explore. I had been eagerly anticipating bringing Anthony to the newest ballpark in America for just one reason, the Clevelander. I could not wait to see his reaction. We take you now to the nightclub beyond the left field fences. And as promised, we are back just for a quick minute. We are standing outside of the Clevelander. You can hear very loud dance music being played as the Marlins just lost to the Mets. But Anthony, quickly, you have a very weird look on your face. Can you describe the experience that is the Clevelander? And keep in mind, this is a family show, so let's keep it PG as to what goes on in the Clevelander. It's very surreal that there's a nightclub in the middle of a ballpark. Um, there is, I think you've described that there is a, she's technically topless, although there's, um, a, you know, like, uh, whatever, when, you know, like body paint. body paint, but it's like, it's kind of like, um, like airbrush, airbrush. Well, not airbrush. airbrush. Yeah, yeah, like airbrush paint on her to like cover her nipples, you know? Um, so that's something, I guess. <laughs> there I are people know. in the pool. There are- we are in Miami. It's Miami. So, um, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sad to leave the Clevelander soon. The one thing I the one thing I will give the Clevelander is its location. For those of you who don't know, the Clevelander is located directly next to the visitors bullpen, which is a stroke of genius on the Marlins architectural department because I have personally seen visiting bullpen members get distracted by the dancing ladies 
and go in and blow games. So while it is wonderfully Miami and wonderfully tacky, it's helping them win ball games. So good on you, Miami. With that, we will see you next time uh, in Hotlanta, in the ATL, in the Dirty Dirty. We'll see you in a couple seconds. At last, the time has come. Anthony's 30th ballpark. We are going to have some very special episodes coming up soon where Anthony and I break down every single ballpark in the country. But for now, please enjoy Anthony's first trip to Turner Field and what could end up being our last before they move to Cobb County. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very, very special segment of the Clubhouse podcast because it is official. It has happened. Mr. Anthony Rapp himself has now seen all 30 Major League Baseball stadiums. Now, we're going to get a lot more into that in our next episode. I want to focus a little bit on Turner seen, Field. I've seen games at them. It's not just that I've seen them from outside. Seen- You're right. You've seen a ball game at all 30 baseball stadiums. So now we're going to get to that uh, in our next episode. But let's just get your initial feelings real quick. How does it feel now to have seen a ball game at all 30 stadiums, sir? I thought we weren't going to talk about that. <laughs> we're going to talk, talk a little bit. We'll expand on it in the next episode. Okay. But this one, I just want to get your initial you know, feelings of, of it. It's, we're living in the moment now. Yeah. No, my, my feelings, I'm very proud and I'm honored. I'm grateful to you for making it possible. And I'm glad that I get to... I mean, I watch a lot of baseball anyway. So part of what I'm glad that I can always now envision myself in the park when I'm watching a game on... TV or listening to it on the radio, um, and yeah, there's the you know I'm a little sad that this park is going to be gone because I think it's a nice park. I don't, it, I don't think it's I don't think it's one of the very best, but it's it's a good one, and it's and it's sad that it's going to be gone. I agree with that 100. It's it's incredibly sad to me that Turner Field will no longer be after the 2016 season. It's as I had mentioned on my Rotting Third podcast, and I've mentioned plenty of times before, it is by far the most racially diverse stadium in the country, and it's not even close. Um, I mean, even the fact that tonight the game is sparsely attended, uh, there aren't that many people in the stands, there are still a lot more non-white faces both working the game and sitting in the stands than any park that I've been to. And now both of us can say we've been to all 30. Yes. <laughs> but let's just take uh, folks through our day today as far as what we've done here at the uh, great Turner Field. When we first arrived, what was kind of, uh, what were some of the cool things that we were able to experience here at Turner Field? Um, I mean, we, it's, it's not that different from other places as we walk. We always walk around the whole grounds. We go up in the upper deck, when, unless we, we were barred from doing so in Miami, which was sad and weird. Yes, because they closed the upper deck to not sell seats there and they would not let us walk up there, which, hey, Miami, all I gotta say is, I was going to take a photo of you guys to include in my 2017 baseball wall calendar, but I guess you're going to be left in the dust because you wouldn't let me up there. They, but they, um, they, they, they can't hear you. Oh, they can hear me. They, they all can hear me. But uh, <laughs> the, we went to the, the Atlanta Braves Hall of Fame, which was nice. What would you think of that? It was nice. It was, it was very, very sort of old school, traditional, you know. They didn't have anything in there that I saw that specifically talked about the World Series victories, except for they had one- oh, the trophy. They had one facsimile of the trophy for the Atlanta Braves, which is the only time the Atlanta Braves have won. But you know, the Braves, there's these signs everywhere saying the Braves are the longest continuously operating franchise in Major League history. So I would have thought that in the, in the Hall of Fame that they would have at least had something about- I actually have a theory about that. Do you think that they're ashamed of the fact that they were the Boston Braves or the Milwaukee Braves? Or? No, no. There, there's a lot of Boston-Milwaukee stuff in there. Maybe not the, yeah, the... but that they don't talk about the World Series victories. Maybe not the World Series, but... It's weird to me. I mean, it's... The big, the most prominent display, which is understandable, was the the run of... Was 14 consecutive... Yes. Division, division championships. I mean, that's... In, that's Well, that defines you know. the Braves as far as a team is concerned. Sure. I mean, Hank Aaron defines the Braves as far as a player is concerned, but as far as... A team is concerned. 14 consecutive division titles. That's amazing. It's and right. so I think that's that was my theory is that, you know, and especially growing up in the 90s watching baseball, I will never forget the fact that the Braves just kept on winning divisions. Yet, and Braves fans out there, tweet at me at Clubhouse Pod or email us at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com if I'm wrong, if my memories are, are failing me. But I remember back in the 90s, despite the, that fact that they won every year, 
the fact that they weren't winning World Series, a lot of Braves fans were not very happy about that. And Turner Field was very sparsely attended even then. And, and not many fans would show up to games because it's kind of that complacency of winning, but not winning enough. They weren't winning World Series, so I feel like there's a little bit of, let's focus on the division titles and not really focus too much on the World Series that we didn't win. Because as soon as someone says, oh yeah, that's one World Series, why didn't you win four or five of them like the Yankees did? You guys were winning your division every year, what's wrong with you? You couldn't win the big one? For you football fans out there, it's maybe like the Eagles or the Bills or many of other these teams that keep on getting to the promised land, but can't quite have that, that winning run across the plate. But sorry, but so it's an interesting theory. Sure, yeah. So now, inside the Hall of Fame, there's also, um, uh, I think we've been to a couple Halls of Fame now, a team specific Halls of Fame. Um, it's definitely the least jingoistic. That's what I was going to bring up is that I feel like this one is very reverential towards the Braves without necessarily being rah rah. Yeah, like this is the best team in the history of all sports. So you sat down, and, and uh, as I was kind of wandering around, they have a, a replica train inside the uh, train car uh, that the, the players used to go take from stadium to stadium. You sat down in some, bleach, in some uh, uh, seats and watched a pr pretty cool-looking video, actually, which I kind of dug their concept of a team video as opposed to, let's say, the Royals or the Reds or the other uh, uh, Halls of Fame we've seen. It was just, yeah, it was just footage of, like, certain milestone moments of famous Braves players, and it was cut together without any... Commentary. It was just the 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 calls of the game made in the moment of the, the that the video was captured. So yeah, it was it was cool that way. Well, it, it was just sort of this speaks for itself. This is the stat. This is the day that Andrew Jones hit two home runs in a World Series game, and this is the day that Tom Glavin won the MVP in the World Series. I mean, you know, but it didn't. Yeah, it wasn't. It let it speak. It let the it let the game the the gameplay itself, the hit itself, the pitching itself speak for itself. What do you think? I had mentioned in our Kansas City Royals episode uh, when we were at Kauffman Stadium is that that was probably my favorite part of the Royals video was the last couple of minutes there where they just cut together the highlights from their uh, most recent postseason run in 2014 and just let it play. And you know, the chills that I get when I see the actual plays, you know, I don't need a narrator. I don't need someone telling, and even, and maybe, you know, I remember them, but I believe even someone who doesn't necessarily know the history of the Braves wouldn't necessarily need a, a narrator to tell them what is happening. You should be able to feel it and see it yourself. Yeah, and that's what I, I certainly appreciated that about it. So there's also some other cool stuff here at the park. Uh, when you go to the upper deck, um, there is kind of a, a uh, faux base paths with uh, some warning track dirt and some uh, infield kind of rubber that you can stand on on the mound you can stand on there is a, a home plate 90 feet away from first base you can kind of practice your your uh, reps to first base there so i mean there's a couple of really interesting things to walk on there's the big lily tomlin chairs upstairs which i get a big kick out of um they're in the shape of coca-cola bottles that's you know you're in atlanta there's gonna be a lot I of coca-cola but that doesn't mean i have to like it Sure, I I, it's not so much the Coca-Cola bottles that I like as much as just the reference to an old Lily Tomlin sketch, you know? That, that's, that's really what I enjoy from Saturday Night Live. Um, but I, I do want to just re make sure that we don't uh, do this little talking about Turner Field without registering very publicly my displeasure with the tomahawk chop continuing to be a thing in 2015, United States of America. It makes me sad. I agree. Um, I know for those of you who have listened to our, our Cleveland Indians episode, I think you're pretty familiar with both Anthony and I's opinions of such matters. And um, yeah, it is a bit uncomfortable uh, every time that song plays and, and very smiley, happy faces are, are making that, that motion with the arm. Um, yeah, it's a little disappointing. So hopefully that will go away in 2017 when they become the Cobb County Braves. I know they're not the Cobb County Braves, literally, but in my world, they will always be the Cobb County Braves once they leave this uh, really nice downtown stadium. And the other thing about the park that I really like is it's they've kept it they kept it nice and simple. The you know I'm, we talk a lot about color schemes, just aesthetics. I mean the the the, the nice. It's a very nice blue of the seats, a blue of the outfield walls. The the advertising is kept very spare and minimal. You know, there are a couple neon signs, but it just it's not like my eye isn't being pulled in a million different directions. And so I always appreciate that. It feels like there's it's it feels very baseball centered in a way that I really appreciate. Absolutely. 
Well, as I said, we're going to be uh, talking a lot more about um, Anthony and I's 30 Stadium adventures, but I do want to end this uh, uh, episode with just, Anthony, this has been a heck of a couple of months on the road. I've had, you know, I, I like to say that my 30 Stadium tour was the best three months of my life. I feel like this is coming in a close 1-1-A with how much fun it's been. It has been, because I'll tell you why. He, he ladies and gentlemen, he took a swig of his, his water and he almost choked on it as I said that. But I'll tell you why. Because the first time I did the 30 Stadium Tour, I was pretty much by myself. And when you go to a baseball game by yourself, it's just a completely different experience than when you go with someone else. I love going to ball games by myself because I get to meet new people every time. When you get to share that with someone else, and I've been able to watch you experience these parks for the first time, the things you've liked, the things you haven't liked, the things that you have maybe picked up on that I didn't, the things that I picked up on that you didn't, that I've been able to impart with you. It genuinely has been a really amazingly fun couple of months. So thank you for all of this. You're very welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I'd like to say that it's really wonderful to be sitting outside in the sultry summer air after sitting inside in the air-conditioned nonsense of uh, Marlins Park. I mean, the Marlins Park had nonsense other than the air conditioning also, but the air conditioning is nonsense. I could not agree more. I know it has been 90 plus degrees all day here in Hotlanta, the ATL, the Dirty Dirty, but I could not be more happy to be watching baseball with the first sun and now moon over our heads. Although I cannot see the moon currently. I know that it's up there. I believe, I trust that it is up there. And it just feels so nice to have the air wash over you and not the air conditioning blasting in your face. So thank you, Atlanta. And you know, I'm not actually sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not gonna have a retractable roof in Cobb County. I'm gonna have to double check on that. I, I don't remember if that's in the plans, but I'm hoping that the Cobb County Braves carry on the tradition of uh, open air stadiums. Because Miami, Houston, Milwaukee, I give Arizona and Seattle a pass. But those of you who have tractable roofs, please keep them open. And ladies and gentlemen, the Braves are just about to tie this ball game two to two in the bottom of the seventh. And this crowd that was largely filled with Giants fans are being silenced as the ball game is now tied. They might not want us to leave Turner Field, Anthony. We might be here for a while. I don't know, they got first and third with one out though. They got an opportunity to go ahead now, the Braves do. We shall see. But yes, thank you, Atlanta. Thank you, Turner Field. I was just, I was just uh, yeah. We'll see you next time here in the clubhouse. The home base for the Clubhouse podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse located at 67 East 11th Street in New York City. Seriously, folks, this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country. From the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are just hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is the best. If you can't make it into Bergino's in person, please visit Bergino.com and pick up a gift for your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, really anybody in your life, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, make sure you mention the podcast and you'll get a free bag tag with any purchase. You can follow Anthony and I individually at RoundingThirdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week. <laughs>